Welcome. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church for our second service this morning. Second service on the 14th of February. We will continue with our theme this morning of Valentine's Day. We have a few more treats for those who um, are interested in those. Very interested in those kind of things, of course. Uh, This morning as we uh, prepare to study the Word of God, we have a few seconds for uh, spiritual preparation. And spiritual preparation, of course, uh, involves us uh, aligning our thoughts and, of course, our souls with uh, God the Holy Spirit, uh, the Word of God, and uh, uh, what He has prepared for us this morning. in John 14. And John 14 is a wonderful passage because it's the rapture passage. It's probably the first place that we see the rapture. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ trying to comfort his disciples whom he loved. And he says to them, uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and where I go, and and if I go, I will come again and, uh, and take you unto myself, that where I am you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is also that portion of our service where we have an opportunity for us to reciprocate in grace in giving. Uh, The Apostle Paul, of course, tells us that each one of us should give just as we purpose in our own souls, Uh, not begrudgingly is one of the ways it can be translated, or uh, under compulsion, reluctantly, for the Lord loves a gracious giver. And this is simply, it's not, there is no pressure ever to give. It's simply a matter of your relationship with the Lord. Uh, and your ability to do so. Sometimes uh, our desire to give exceeds the ability, uh, and that's fine. That's wonderful. Uh, the Lord knows. So we'll take a few seconds for our spiritual preparation and then also the offering. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dearly Father, again, we are thankful that you have blessed us. We're thankful that uh, we do have the means and the opportunity to serve you and realize that uh, in order for your ministries to go forward, you've allowed, you've given us the privilege to support them through giving um, on the basis that you have blessed us. And we owe, Father, that even as we give, that you are resupplying us, resupplying those assets which we are providing to you. We ask, Father, for your blessing upon the offering and also upon the service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It is Valentine's Day, and um, many are probably aware or heard the story of what is believed to be the creation, the beginning of Valentine's Day, the origin coming from St. Valentine, who was possibly a priest, possibly a bishop, uh, who at a time when Claudius had decreed that uh, 
men, young men who were joining the military could not marry because he believed that for them to marry it would be a distraction. Uh, I don't know why he thought it was just for the military, but uh, that was his decree. Well, be a distraction for anybody, I'm sure. But he decreed that uh, young men going into the military who were in the military could not marry. Uh, and St. Valentine uh, was marrying them uh, anyhow to their, to their loved one, uh, even while that decree was designed to prohibit it. And supposedly he was jailed and he fell in love with, or didn't really fall in love, but he had a, uh, I think, what we would call a, a love relationship with the daughter of the jailer, uh, probably very platonic. Uh, he cared for her. And from that story, we have this uh, Valentine. He writes a note to her and signs it, Your Valentine. Um, now, whether that is a true story or not, it's difficult to tell. It's a, a pleasant story, and I think one that uh, can be used. And I certainly uh, enjoy the fact or appreciate the fact that it is um, that it it does have some uh, spiritual uh, merit because he is um, uh, he does present that image, but. For us, love, when we think of the word love, there's many things that we might, um, many thoughts that we might have. We are studying the filling of the Spirit. And as I mentioned last time, filling of the Spirit produces in us those that fruit that we should bear. And one of the fruits as we see in Galatians 5:22 the very first one is love and today we that's very well may be as close as we're going to come to our normal topic of love because i want to divert from there to the to the subject of love and we're we're going to a passage uh, about love but first let's read in Ephesians 5 Turn in your pat your books, your Bibles, to Ephesians five. And Ephesians five, um, we see that the Apostle Paul, leading up to five, is discussing the behavior, the behavior of members of the congregation. How are we to relate to one another? And we've uh, addressed this several times, but his somewhat of a conclusion is when he arrives in Ephesians 5.1 he says therefore be imitators of God be imitators of God and we understand that the context for this imitation comes out of the previous verse previous uh, sentence we might say where it says that we are to be kind to one another we are to be compassionate to one another tender hearted another word there kindness compassion all work together forgiving one another 
even as God in Christ forgave you. And you've heard me say that the word forgiving here is a fine translation, and I think that that relates to us maybe a little better in English than the actual translation. The translation would be treating in grace, being a, uh, having a grace attitude towards others. But the real translation here is being gracious one to another, to each other, even as God in Christ was gracious to you. And of course, how was he gracious to us? His graciousness is exemplified on the cross. Going to the cross, he loved us. And he loved us to the extent that he is going to that he gives his life for us. And this is Paul writing in in retrospect of that. That's why he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. And we have an imperative here. Uh, we are commanded a present active imperative that says it's something that is to be ongoing. It's not an act. You know, I did it once and that suffices. Uh, this is probably as good any time to tell a story about a gentleman that worked with me when I was still in the Marine Corps. I was working in the policy section in the Marine Corps headquarters and I had one of my senior civilians who had worked there for many years was an extraordinary man, had a tremendous sense of humor, but his sense of humor was only exceeded by his wife's sense of humor. Her name was Trudy. And uh, whenever I was around him, I don't think I ever saw her without a smile. And he usually had a smile as well. Um, but uh, one day when they were together, I just happened to be there as well. It may have been a party. It may have been some other occasion. I don't think I ever saw her that it wasn't at a party. That was just when we got together. And um, the, the subject of love um, was introduced. And... Um, he was saying, I'm, I'm trying to remember, his, his name for some reason eludes me, I'm going to say Bob. But Bob said, yes, he said, well, I think what's made our marriage work is you know, my endearing love for my wife. And Trudy, with a smile, says, uh, yes, uh, unfortunately, he never tells me that he loves me. And he said, dear, the day that I married you, I told you that I loved you. And if it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's not quite what this is saying. <laughs> the love that we're supposed to have is an ongoing love. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be uttered, but certainly uh, it should be seen. It should be recognized. And walk, continually walk in love. And this is by means of love. Well, what kind of love would that be? It says, in love, as Christ also has loved us. It just comes full circle. He treats us in grace. He goes to the cross. Why? Because He loves us. And we know that God commendeth His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love that he has for us. He doesn't love us because we were particularly lovable. As a matter of fact, 
the Word of God describes us as being hostile at enmity with God. But Christ loves us. He loves His creation and He loves us. And He loves us to the degree that He would give His life for us. And every now and then we will see that happen in in the human race, giving of a life. But the Lord Jesus Christ taking on the sins of the world exceeds this exponentially just beyond anything that we could understand so it says and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and this giving of love was not simply confined to him confined to a relationship that he has with the human race but it's also an understanding and a relationship and an obedience, we could say, between him and the Father. Why? Because going to the cross pleases the Father. Why would it please the Father? This was the purpose. Christ comes to go to the cross to seek and to save those who are lost. And in doing so, he is completing, fulfilling God's plan for his life. So when the Lord goes to the cross pays for the sins of the entire world, dies and is raised again to new life. This is described in our context as a sweet aroma to the Father. And that's what it says. An offering. A sacrifice to God. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a sacrifice to God, paying for the sins of the world. A sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It's an aroma that is here, more stylistic and a figure of speech. We understand that the, as the, the smoke and the fire goes up, we see that as going up to the Father. And that's how this is understood. But this is the kind of love that we are to imitate. And it's extraordinary an extraordinary love. And this is one of our phrases to walk in love, which is parallel to walking by means of the Spirit. Why? Because when we are walking by means of the Spirit, we are producing what? The fruit of the Spirit. And the very first one is the agape love there, the virtue love that we are to produce in Galatians 5.21. But as we look at this passage and we think about love today, how do we understand love in the Word of God? Well, one of the places or one of the ways that we understand love interpretively, and we are to look at love, to understand love, to study love, we often would go to the first place in the Bible where that word is used. Because the first place it's used helps ground us in the understanding of that word love. Well, I was asking myself, I wonder where this word, or where where the word for love is found first in in the Bible. We would go to the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, uh, we have the word uh, for love, ahav, is found in Genesis, 
I wonder if anyone would know where that might be, just off the top of your head. Genesis 22. Let's turn to Genesis 22. I was, I guess, somewhat surprised that this is the first time it was used. We know that it's used here. This is a endearing passage. On the one hand, maybe a shocking passage, and on the other hand, probably extremely memorable. But the first time that our word for love is used here, and it's the Hebrew word, ahev, is H-A-E, B, we would see it as at the end as a B, but it comes across as a V, H-A-E-B. Love is used here in verse 2 of chapter 22. Let's read this and get a sense for what we have. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things. And, of course, these things are... We probably could begin with a few, but Abraham's life has been really a life of testing, of God making a promise to Abraham, Abraham, you are going to be the father of a new people that I am calling out that I'm sanctifying unto myself. And you will be the source, the conduit, through which I will reveal myself to the rest of the world. And in order to do that, Abraham, we are going to start in you a nation. Well, that was a promise that God made to Abraham. But of course we all know that Sarah, his wife, was barren. And Abraham has this promise from God. And guess what? He can't fulfill it. Shock of all shocks. It's going to take God to fulfill it. Now, it's a little more understandable, a little more dramatic here, because Sarah is barren. And in our lives, the promises that God has made to us, very often there are not huge obstacles in the way. We just need to believe that God is going to keep his promises. But here for Abraham, this is an incredible problem and difficulty. And so immediately Abraham gets busy to make sure or to affect this promise in his life. God's made a promise. I need to get busy and make sure that it's, it's fulfilled. But we know the story. Instead of just trusting in the Lord, over time to accomplish what he has promised in Abraham's life, Abraham goes through many different doors, down many different paths, until finally we arrive in 22. So, after it came to pass, after these things came to pass, well, one of those things was Isaac was born. Finally, the son of the promise. Isaac is called the son of the promise. And it's taken a long time, 
25 years, Abraham at age 100, for this to occur. And now Abraham is older. We're not sure how old he is, but at 100, Isaac is born. And he's probably a teenager. People give different ages for Isaac now. But so Abraham is now maybe 115 Isaac 15, maybe a little older. Some of them would place Isaac maybe as early as 20, 21, 22. And Abraham has matured. He now has seen how God works in his life and Sarah's life as well in this family. And now God comes to him and says, Abraham, and by now, Abraham has a wonderful relationship with the Lord. It's taken a while. And I would like to say that the Lord has probably spoken with Abraham quite a few times for him to progress to this point. And you'd say, well, you know, if the Lord would speak to me, maybe I would progress to a really mature place. And the answer is, he does. It's in his word. The word of God is the Lord speaking to you whenever you so desire. And you can even memorize it and listen to his words as you cycle it through your frame of reference. Abraham. Yes, Lord. Wonderful. Probably a wonderful relationship. And he said, here am I. And A, here am I. Then he, God said, Now take your son and see the progression here because it's a progression as Abraham is listening. Take your son. No problem taking my son many places. Done many things with Isaac. Why? Matter of fact, may not let him out of his sight. It's his only son. Son of the promise. Probably tells his son that almost every day. Talks with him. Educating him. Rearing him. Take your son. Now take your son your only son. Uh, I don't know if uh, Abraham for a moment thought, well, I have two sons. I have Ishmael and I also have Isaac. Well, the Lord is not going to allow him to have any second thoughts or any mistakes. Now take your son, your only son, Isaac. Isaac, whom you love. And then he says, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, uh, Abraham knew right where that was. Abraham has been traveling around this area and he knows where Moriah is. And it's probably north from where he is because he's probably south in the land. Maybe around Hebron, maybe down around uh, uh, Beersheba. He travels through that area. And he says, take him to the land of Moriah. And by the way, the word for love here when it's translated, when the Old Testament is translated into the Greek language, it is agapao. So this is our virtue love. This was an understood love that Abraham had for Isaac. He wasn't talking to him about um, a real strong bonding, physical, uh, paternal, maternal type love that we might have because that's my son and I love him. But the Lord uses, or the translation is understood, that this is a virtue love that he has for him. He has grown to love Isaac in a way that goes beyond that kind of love. Just sort of an interesting 
translation that I see in this, the Septuagint. And he says, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And you might think that Abraham, as he's listening, is with the Lord. Yes, Lord, take it. Take my son. Take Isaac. We're going to go on a road trip. It's going to be to the north. Going to go to Moriah. Know where that is. And offer him as a burnt offering. Now, it's difficult for us to know what Abraham thinks at that moment. What is going through his mind? Well, what we believe is that at this moment, Abraham is so confident in God's promise to him that Isaac is the son of the promise. And that's God's promise. That's not Abraham's promise. It's not an agreement that he's had with Sarah. And it's not the collective you know, vote that, yes, Isaac is... No, this is, this is what God said. God said that Isaac is the son of the promise. Well, then Abraham knows that Isaac is going to be the father of the nation. He has to be. Take him and offer him as a burnt offering. Yes, Lord. He is just as much the possession of God that he is of Abraham. He fits into that plan the same way. More so. Offer him on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What does Abraham do immediately? Now, now just a minute, Lord. You know, it took 25 years plus another 15 or 20 to get to where we are. I, I don't know how much longer I can live. and I'm, I don't know if I can go in there and tell Sarah we're going to have to start over what... None of that. I hate to break this up, but I do have a little bit of a humorous story. My father and mother, in relation, sadly, to me. We were going somewhere, and I had been, it's one of those anomalies in my life, I had been disobedient, done something, and dad was driving and mother was sitting in the passenger seat, and whatever I had done, I was either discussing it with Dad, which discussion with Dad was rare. Uh, but I was saying something about it. And Dad finally said over his shoulder to me, he said, you know, we can get another one of you from where we got you. <laughs> words to that effect we can get another one of you from where we got you and I remember to me that was a shock I had no idea where my source where I came from and I looked at mother and mother was (laughs) looking at father with sort of a a look on her face that said you think (laughs) you think maybe so you know anyhow Abraham doesn't seem to have those thoughts 
He just says in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. Notice here, there's no, there's no uh, Jonah syndrome. He doesn't head in the other direction. Son, we've got to get out of here. There's a threat looming. He, Isaac his son, split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now the rest of the story here is, is just absolutely remarkable as we go. And we get to a place, and I'll continue to read, but you'll notice that Abraham knows that Isaac is going to be the father of the race. And he also knows, probably, that in God's plan, we don't sacrifice humans. That is completely alien to anything God would do. But he's now being told to go sacrifice him. And my sense here, and I think we can get this out of Hebrews 11 as well, is that Abraham knows that God doesn't accept or perform human sacrifices. And therefore, Isaac cannot be a human sacrifice. He could not be a sacrifice. But what doesn't Abraham know? Abraham doesn't know what God's going to do. He doesn't know the solution. We could even say that Abraham can't see what's going to happen in the future. But God can see what's going to happen in the future. And that's how this story really ends. We'll read it. But Abraham is going to come to the place where he's absolutely obedient and he is ready to do what God wants him to do. And he comes right to that point where the Lord stops him. says, Then on the third day, they're traveling here. They split the wood for the burnt offering, rose, and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And here's another clue. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. Somebody says, uh, this is a southerner speaking here. Moses writing in a southern way or something. You go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Here is Moses or Abraham's confidence in what's happening. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. Isaac, you're carrying the wood up the hill, son. He said, fine. Took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Notice that we have really two fathers. We have God the Father speaking to Abraham, his son, and we have Abraham the Father speaking to his son. Here am I, my son. And he said, Look, see, the fire and the wood. Behold, it's a better word there. Behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide. And the word here for provide, Yahweh, means to see. And by the way, 
the English word to provide is based on the Latin word to see. Provide something means to see it, to supply it. So my son, God will see for himself. You don't see it, Isaac, but God sees it. And in our lives, this is precisely what happens. And we don't always see the next step. We don't know what that next step is. But God sees it. We don't know how he's going to provide for us tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month. But God sees it. God will provide. God sees. And Abraham said, My son, God will see for himself. In other words, don't worry about seeing it, Isaac. God sees it. God providing. Provide the land for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And here again, um, Abraham doesn't say to Isaac, um, uh, don't worry about the burnt offering. He says the lamb. He says he's going to provide an animal here. And this is just demonstrates what Abraham has learned. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And as many have said, by this time, Isaac now probably knows. He has to know. A uh, young, virulent young man, uh, Abraham probably says, Son, I need, to, I need to bind you now and I need to, to put you on the altar. And Isaac is saying to himself and maybe to his father, am I, the, am I the sacrifice, father? Yes, you are the sacrifice. And as Abraham is trusting the father, Isaac is trusting his father. The trust here is extraordinary. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and the the dueling of the name the doubling of the name it, it provides emphasis Abraham Abraham you know the Lord is recognizing the faithfulness of Abraham the obedience so he says here I am Lord Hene do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, that you have a respect for God, that you're obedient, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And the word there is again uh, you're right to see the Lord sees and this the passage is just an extraordinary passage to teach trusting the Lord because the Lord sees and the Lord will provide the Lord will see what we need and this is what Abraham knew before he started the trip but we started this by saying that Abraham's love for his son was profound, we could say. It was virtue love. He loved his son. 
beyond just loving him as a son, but now he he has a relationship with him. And this is the kind of love, and I made the point that it's uh, agapao, it's the agape type love as it's translated by the Septuagint, which I think relates to us then. What kind of love? The love that God has for us and the love that God had for his own son. Let's turn in the New Testament to John seventeen twenty four. And as we see this word love in John 17, John 17, I must have said something else, but John 17, we're seeing that this is the kind of love that the Father, God the Father, has for the Son. Same type of love. But it's the agape love that we are to imitate. In John 17, the Lord is praying for His disciples and He's also praying for believers. And you'll notice in verse 24... He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. This love that God has for his Son is not a love that occurred when he was born as a human, uh, when he uh, was obedient and goes to the cross, when he concludes the mission on the cross. No, this is a love that was inherent between the Son and the, and the Father before the foundation of the world. And therefore, what we know is that this is the ultimate love. This is the foundational love that we have. It originates with God. And it's extended to us in our spiritual lives. Walking by means of the Spirit and walking by love, by means of love, are two and the same. And this is the kind of love that comes from the Father that's demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are to imitate. And it's the kind of love that Abraham had for Isaac as well. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. We would say that this is the fountainhead of this love. In 1 John 4, 8, we also have another passage that demonstrates this. 1 John 4, 8. And whenever, when we turn to 
any one of the Johannine epistles or his gospel, we sometimes need to explain that John is writing to believers. This is not a soteriological passage. It's not about salvation. He's talking to believers about how they're supposed to live their lives. And he says in 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, Beloved, he's speaking to believers. 1 John 4, Let us love one another. And the let us love here is a present active subjunctive. We, we would say it's a hortatory subjunctive, and it has the force of an imperative. And when we say let us, it almost sounds uh, permissive. But it's not. It's really a mandate. And the mandate is we must. And this is how John saw the spiritual life. If you're a believer, then you need to live this way. Or you're really not fully known of the Lord or knowledgeable of the Lord. And that's what he's going to say. So I, let's translate this. Beloved, we must love one another. So we have this, again, the kindness, the compassion, the love that we are supposed to have. Uh, beloved, we must love one another. For love is of God. And we've just seen this from the foundation of the world that kind of love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, again, this is not, he's not speaking of eternal life here. He's not talking about the, at the moment when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, let's be frank. If you're a believer and you do not fulfill this passage, then you are really not a true believer. Yes, you've had <coughs> you you have eternal life, excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, you have eternal life. And yes, you have imputed righteousness. And yes, you're going to be, uh, uh, see the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be face to face with your Savior when, when you die. But that is not the kind of believer that God has planned for you. And that's what John is saying here. And everyone who loves has been born. This is the perfect tense. Everyone who loves has been born, who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and knows God. It's a knowledge that is, we would say, it's an intimate knowledge. We know what who God is and what he wants us to be. Verse 8. He who does not love, and we, I think we can just, it's understood one another. He who does not love one another does not know God. For God is love. That's the divine essence. Part of his character. This is the basis for our love. Therefore, we come full circle back to Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is generally recognized as what we would call the personal love, the marital love, um, that two people will have for them or the affection that two people will have married or not and that's wonderful and it should be that way but remember the man is told to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself 
for her. That's the basis for that relationship, that love. And it's really the basis for the wife's love for her husband as well. It has to be. Otherwise, it's a frail love. It's a love that says, as long as you know, they merit my love. But that's not what the Bible says. The love we have for each other, if it's a personal love, must be grounded and founded upon what we sometimes call an impersonal love. Meaning that the other person doesn't have to have a lot of redeeming qualities. We love them because of our love for the Father and for the Son. Because they loved us. And I think Valentine's Day takes on a new meaning if we understand love. Where it originated with God. And that we are to imitate God's love. And I think in relationships that might be strained or difficult. If we come to the understanding that we need to have a love for the Father and a love for the Son that allows us to transcend many of the difficulties in life. Loving, first of all, with a compassion and a kindness because we are to imitate God and how he loves us. And then we might say that we really have a wonderful basis for truly loving each other. And that's my message of love and Valentine's Day this morning. But I have a couple bonuses here. Very often people see Valentine's Day as being more, well, sort of for the wife or the woman. And maybe so. But let me show you true love here. Dear, the hedge too overgrown to trim? No problem. I'm a man. I can fix that. Now, for those who can't see this, it's a, rider, a man on a rider mower, and every man here is saying, I wish I was on that rider mower. <laughs> it's a man on a rider mower being hoisted by a crane over the hedge to, mur- to mow the hedge. See, this is true love. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, sweetheart. I'll take care of that hedge. I'm a man. I can fix this. Well, maybe we have one more here. Dear, new TV too large for the cabinet? No problem. I'm a man. I can fix that. There you have it. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day, sweetheart. I think this is true love from a man's perspective. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you loved us first. And yes, you commend your love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we probably even knew of what you've done for us, you loved us.
Father, help us to base, base our spiritual life on your character, knowing that that is how we are commanded. We are commanded to love by means of God the Holy Spirit and to walk by means of God the Holy Spirit, producing the love that is only found in the Spirit. Uh, And Father, that love is far greater. But we are also to love each other. Uh, And there is love in uh, romantic relationships. And romance is just wonderful. But Father, it's so much more wonderful if it's based upon the uh, the divine essence of love that we are trying to imitate. Help us to understand that first, and then the romantic love will be enhanced beyond probably what we can imagine. And if there's anyone here this morning who cannot say that they have an eternal future, that they know that they have eternal life, that they have this relationship, then this is your opportunity right now to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ As I started, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it's only through him that we can have imputed righteousness because our righteousness is certainly unworthy of the righteousness of the Father, his essence. So if you're here this morning and you do not have that hope, you don't have that sense of eternal destiny, you can believe at this moment that the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trust him as your Savior, the one who has paid the debt that you could not pay for your sins. And at that moment, that instant, you have eternal life. You have the imputed righteousness of God so that when the Father sees you, looks at you, he sees the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is propitiated, he is satisfied. Father, help us as we... Celebrate this Valentine's Day. Help us to realize that true love comes to us from you, and it has been there since the foundation of the world. And that is the love that we should be demonstrating towards others. And as we demonstrate that love to others, we pray that they will see in us the love of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might witness to them and be truly light and salt to a lost and dying world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.